I'm going to begin with a story that occurred when I was in sixth grade. When I was in sixth grade, I loved to play baseball. And I had friends that liked to play baseball, and we, we played a lot. Um, we had a baseball that was about the color of coffee, and we used paper plates and rocks for bases. But we loved playing baseball. So we kind of got the feeling that maybe we were pretty good. So we challenged another neighborhood in a game of baseball. We said, all right, on Saturday, I don't know what time, we'll meet at the schoolyard, because you could do that back then, and play baseball. And they said, all right, so we're set to go. So we immediately went out and tried to find all the best guys we could to come be on our team. Whether we knew them or not, you know, maybe they were on the edge of our neighborhood, maybe just outside of our neighborhood, we didn't care. We were trying to find the guys that could help us win. We wanted the ringers. The ringer, a ringer is somebody who can surprise your opponent because they're really good and they weren't expecting them to be there. We wanted the ringers. And so the game came, we played the game, and I don't remember who won, which means my team probably did not win. <laughs> I know I did not hit a home run or anything. I don't even know if anybody scored. We had the game apparently, but I, you know, it, it just was, was a game. What I do remember is that there was a lot of yelling back and forth, because we were sixth grade boys, that's what we do. We were, we were full of passion without compassion. We were full of action without direction. And we had no power. I don't think anybody hit a home run or anything like that. So that's how the game ended, and we moved on. Today, Jesus' story tells us how passion and compassion and direction and power work in his kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. To begin with a little background, last week, you recall, Tyler spoke to us about some of the stories that Jesus told describing the kingdom of heaven, about some of the parables and things. He talked about the character of the kingdom and our response to the kingdom. And he pointed out that the kingdom is here and now. It's right here in our midst. It's not fully finished. It's not fully formed, but it's here now. There's more to come. This week, rather than describing the kingdom, Jesus shows us how things are going to be in the kingdom, how he wants things to be. He demonstrates it. We find the apostles with Jesus traveling around, around the lake of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is like a rock star. Big crowds, different place every night. He's on a road tour, a road trip. Teaching and healing, challenging the leaders of the day sometimes. People always love to hear that. Large crowds gather. The disciples are there. They're like his groupies. They're watching this show from close in. They're the inner circle. They're seeing what happens. They're enjoying the ride. It's a, it's a great, great journey. Jesus conquers demons, disease, hunger, disaster. He conquers death. He touches people's hearts. He changes their lives. He's showing the disciples that he's the ringer. Okay? However, on this one particular day, Jesus gets some very bad news. His cousin John was just killed by the king. John, we call John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John's mother was Elizabeth. You might recall that when Mary found out she was pregnant, she went to Elizabeth's house. So I think this is a pretty close family relationship, this cousin of, cousin of Jesus' John. That's what the Bible said. When our start reading started out, it, said, it says that when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a boat privately. That's what had happened. He had heard John died. So he went to this private place to be alone. When he got there, the crowds were there. They had followed him. It's like at the Flower Town Festival, if some movie star showed up, pick your favorite movie star, everybody would go to that person. 
the vendors may as well close down and go home because nobody else is paying attention to them anymore, right? They're going, going to the vendor. So Jesus had compassion on them, even though he didn't feel like it, and he healed their sick. The disciples started getting worried after a while because it was getting late. Evening's coming. They got all these people here. There's no food. They're far away from anywhere. No place to get anything easy to eat. So they come up with a solution. They come up with a plan to fix this problem. Let's just get Jesus to tell them to go away, to go somewhere else and find their own food. Jesus will do whatever they tell him to do. All we got to do is get Jesus to do this. So they go to Jesus, present this idea, and he says, no, he didn't buy it. Jesus says, instead, he says, you give them something to eat. Now, this is a new thing. Jesus is the one doing the healing. He's the one doing all the teaching. And now he's telling the disciples, you give them something to eat. They know they only have five loaves of bread and two fish. So he's telling them something very different, very revolutionary. It's like the rock star telling the roadie to come up and sing a song. Okay? The disciples missed the point. Jesus is trying to tell them to take bold, reckless steps because he has the power and he's with them. The disciples are being practical. They're being polite. They're being considerate. They come up with a great solution. But it's not what Jesus wants. In the end, they did what Jesus told them to do. It was their hands that handed out the bread. It was their hands that passed out the fish. They gave them something to eat. But Jesus was the power behind it. Jesus was the strength. Jesus the one that made it happen. They executed it. It seems to me that Jesus was being very deliberate when he showed this to the disciples, telling them what he expects us, his followers, to do in the kingdom of heaven, which we're now living in, as Tyler pointed out. I think Jesus shows us four things in this example. Jesus shows us that in the kingdom of heaven, his followers will have compassion on those in need, even if they have troubles of their own. We don't send people away who have needs. We don't say, go solve your own problems in the kingdom of heaven. We help people solve their problems. The second thing Jesus shows us is that the kingdom of heaven, his followers ask Jesus for direction and guidance. The disciples came up with their own plan, and then they asked Jesus to bless it. Jesus is telling us, ask me first. I'll tell you what to do. You don't need to invent something. You don't need to put together a team and think about, ask me first. I'll tell you what to do. And then the third thing is that Jesus shows us that in the kingdom of heaven, his followers respond when they're nudged to take action. Compassion in your heart. You ask Jesus what to do. And then... When he tells you to do it, respond. We respond and do it. Right here, right now, today, with what you have. Five loaves, two fish. It's not enough, but do it anyway. Jesus provides what's missing. Jesus provides the gap. He doesn't care how strong we are, how weak we are, what talent we have, what talent we don't have. When he tells us to go and do something, we do it. He makes up the difference. We have to trust in him to do that. And that's the fourth thing. Jesus shows us that in the kingdom of heaven, his followers accept and rely on Jesus' power rather than their own strength, ideas, talents, and resources. As believers of and followers of Jesus, we live in this kingdom today. Our mission is to advance the kingdom both by spreading the gospel and making the world a better place. So I want to tell you a story about how this might live out in practice in our lives today, in our world. 
The story is about one of my heroes. I'm going to call her Pam because it's easy for me to remember that name. <laughs> it also is her name. And she's not here today. Pam's my wife. She's visiting one of our sons in Baltimore. So she's not here, so I can say whatever I want. Yeah, right. But Pam is someone who cares about things. But she doesn't complain. She gets involved. She tries to make things better. And we live in a neighborhood with a homeowners association that's got rules. And then they got more rules. They got rules about cutting your grass, trimming your lawn, where you can park, what color your house has to be, I think, where you can build a fence, what the fence has to look like, and so on. And our homeowners association has been very active about enforcing these rules, sending people notices, giving them fines, collecting fines, all that kind of stuff. But they're volunteers, so they're inconsistent, so people get mad. They get upset because they get something somebody else doesn't when it's inconsistent. So Pam thought she could help, so she volunteered to be on the board. And Pam being Pam, soon enough, she was president of the board. <laughs> and deeply involved in this stuff. And we would go on our evening walks, which we like to do, to talk about the day, and we're walking around the neighborhood, and she's pointing out everything wrong with every house. <laughs> All right? the, the grass is too long, they need to edge around the sidewalk, that truck doesn't belong here, that fence is out. I'm like, come on. You can imagine how much fun that was for me. I, I wanted to talk my own problems. <laughs> they even hired an outside agency to beef up the inspections and collections. So people were in an uproar. The phone was blowing up, the email was blowing up, Facebook, everything. It was just going crazy. I couldn't wait for her time to be off the board. I just said, you just, we just need to get off this thing and we, so we can get back to life. But then something happened. Pam went to a seminar with a friend that was about Jesus' teaching on loving your neighbor. And she got inspired. She heard the message and she got inspired. She shifted her focus. She started looking deeper and found out that when you start asking questions, you can learn, learn what's going on a little bit better instead of sending, just sending out notices of violation. So why is that house never able to keep their grass cut? Why do those people never cut their grass? Turns out she went to talk to them. It's an elderly woman. She can't cut the grass. She doesn't have enough money to pay somebody to cut the grass. So Pam got together a bunch of people from the neighborhood, and they went over and cleaned up her yard. This wasn't a life group. This wasn't, you know, a, a church Bible study program. This was some people in the neighborhood, kind of knew each other, but not a lot, not close friends. She got them together, went with them. They went, cleaned up this lady's yard. Another case, sim similar situation. Another yard that somebody couldn't keep up. I think somebody was hurt, had, was down for surgery. They did the same thing. And then she got some people to clean up the front entrance to the neighborhood to make that look better, the uh, landscaping and all that kind of stuff. A couple of weeks ago, she had a ladies' night at the pool. A couple of dozen women showed up hungry, and I mean hungry, for connections and friendships. Stayed late talking, had a great time. Want to do it again every week. Um, last weekend, it was movie night at the pool on the grassy area by the pool. Lawn chairs, parents relaxing, little kids running around, Moana on the screen. Fantastic. Everybody's loving it. The community's loving it. Next is the barbecue, cook-off, and a cornhole tournament coming up. So the focus has completely shifted from enforcing the rules to building a community within the neighborhood. And people are loving it. 
And people are taking care of their stuff. They, they feel more like they belong and that they belong with it. So much so that I told her the other day that I think when her time's up, she needs to run for re-election. <laughs> now, if you can believe that, because it's, it's so transformational that she just needs to keep this thing going and get it, get it built in. You see, Pam listened to what Jesus was doing in her heart. She followed his direction, which is a shift in direction, and she took action, and she relied on Jesus' power to do that. Just what he was telling the disciples, just what he's telling us today. These, these are the lessons, I think, for us that I have for you today from this reading. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing in your heart. Ask Jesus what you should do. Respond when you get nudged to action. We feel that sometimes. Sometimes we respond, sometimes we don't. But respond when he tells you what to do. Right now, right here, today, with what you have. Don't wait for a better opportunity. Don't come back again. Don't do a fundraising campaign. Start with what you have. Because Jesus has the power. He's the one that's going to make it happen. He's the one that's going to make a difference. So, who is Jesus calling you to care about today? Who is he working on your heart about, caring about? Who is he building compassion for in your heart? That's where it starts. Is it the person in the grocery store? Is it a coworker in distress? Is it a neighbor struggling to keep up? Is it your sister? Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Is it your father-in-law? Is it your children? Is it the hungry or homeless in Somerville? Is it the children in Honduras? Is it persecuted Christians in Africa? We're not all going to be touched in the same way. Jesus has a different role for each one of us. The key for us is to pay attention to where he's pulling us to, ask him what he wants us to do, and then respond as he leads us. Take this to Jesus and ask him what you should do, and then remember his words. You give them something to eat. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Amen.